When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. you about a contest that we have going on it's simple to enter hopefully easy for you to win it includes a package for travel flight and hotel for two rental car as well $1,500 value plus a staff pass for Glazier clinics valued at $399 and all you need to do is go to glazierclinics.com slash win we've collaborated with Glazier to get this package for you and have the drawing for this on December 12th, which is the five-year anniversary of the podcast. Again, go to glazierclinics.com slash win to register. We're back again with another day to discuss defense. And on this episode, we're going to focus on the University of Houston, who right now has the number six defense in the country. They're led by defensive coordinator Doug Belk. And joining me to discuss and break down the Houston defense is DJ Elliott. Coach, great to have you back again. Glad to be here. Coach, before we got going, we were talking a little bit about D3 football and some different things. You pointed out to me that roommates in college at Cal Lutheran, a D3 school with Tom Herman and Dave Aran, I found that very interesting. And, and then when we were looking uh, at uh, Doug Belk here, we saw that he went to Carson Newman. So he's another D3 guy. Yeah, there are a lot of great coaches that play Division Three football. And it's to no surprise because sometimes the best players are the ones that had to really work the hardest on being the best they could be just to get on the field. Mm -hmm. And so they spent a lot of time studying the game. And Division Three football players usually are guys that truly love football. You know, because they're not on scholarship, uh, they have to pay their way, but yet they're still going to go out there and play football. So to no surprise that a lot of great coaches, in my mind, have played Division three football. And um, I've met a lot in my career uh, of guys that were Division three football players, whether it was Cal Lutheran, like you mentioned, Tom Herman and Dave Aranda, or even Eddie Grant went to Cal Lutheran too, or Mary Harden Baylor or Harden Simmons in Texas. And obviously the lineage of coaches that went through John Carroll and Matt Mount Union. It's just very interesting to see how many good coaches come out of playing division three football and Doug Belt here at Houston is doing an excellent job. And that's just another example of a great coach that played division three football. 
Absolutely. It's, it's great. Being a D3 guy myself, it's great to see those guys getting to the top of the game here. So, Coach, this game was a nickel game against Temple. A lot of nickel defense. So let's just start with some of the basics that you saw here. I know brackets was one of those things. Right. So Houston, to no surprise, is very similar to Alabama. Coach Belk spent three years as a graduate assistant at Alabama, and his system looks a lot like Alabama's. And versus 11 and 10 personnel, he is an exclusively nickel defense. And one of the things that I noticed that he was playing brackets. And so that is a coverage that is a quarters coverage to where the, the nickel and the uh, safety are bracketing the slot. So the nickel is an outside leverage and the safety is an inside leverage. And between the two of those guys, they're going to take an inside or an outside cut of the slot. And then if the slot goes vertical, then it turns into a double on the slot with one underneath and one over the top. They were playing that coverage on first down, and they were creating an eight-man spacing run fit. So if you played a a double bracket concept where you were bracketing both slots, then your run fit issues are a little different, and you may be in a lighter box. You may have to stunt the front. You may have to two-gap the front in order to make up for your your run fit issues, having both DBs on the slots outside of the number two. But what Houston was doing is, depending on where the back was, that was where they were playing brackets to. And then away from the back, they were playing a, a read coverage. And that allowed them to, to get what I call an eight-man spacing run fit and get the linebacker slash DB that is away from the back to be involved in the run fit. And they ran the ball, Houston fit it perfectly, and they got a stop. And then they also had a few times where they attacked the slot and they got a double on that guy. Now, it's important if that slot goes out in brackets that that safety now is a free player. And he can either zone his quarter, he can either push the middle, whatever you've coached him to do to play once he frees up. Now, when they fly motion across out of brackets, they went to three. And that's a good adjustment because that allows your front to stay intact and have and allows them to have their eyes in the same spots for run fits. So anytime you get a fly or you get an orbit motion, a lot of times, like I said in the previous podcast, offenses are doing that in order to, to get the defensive players to move their eyes so they're in the wrong location for a run fit. But if you're in a bracket coverage and you get that type of motion, an easy adjustment is to just rock it to a single high, and that allows your core to stay your core and allows those inside linebackers to keep their eyes in the same spot and fit the run. And Houston was doing that. On third down, they were in quarter-quarter halves, and there was a tight split to the boundary, and it was the half side. And number one went under right away. Any time that you're playing halves, you can carry the vertical two, which almost every team does on the half side, with what I call the vertical hook defender, okay? You could just zone it off and play the hook, but now there's going to be a lot of stress on that half field player because nobody's playing underneath the vertical two, so nobody's forcing that throw to go high if that number two would go vertical and have that half field player have a chance to make a play on it. Mm -hmm. 
But when you're carrying the vertical of two, if one comes under, under five, the guy that carries the vertical of two can now drop the vertical and zone it off. And the reason is, is because now there's only one vertical for that half field safety to have to cover. He doesn't have to split uh, two verticals and get depth and read the quarterback and break on the ball. Now there's only one vertical that he has to cover. So there's no need to carry the vertical two. And Houston did that and did a good job. And that guy zoned it off and got underneath a dig and, and made a nice play doing that. And that was on a third down and it was a critical down for them. And they got off the field. Let me ask you a question on that one. Again, kind of getting to the training of that, right? If you're keying things like that and you're going to see that guy come underneath and be able to let him go, it's going to take a little bit of training the eyes, especially, right? Making sure that guy has that vision that he's not completely locked on one guy, that he starts to see that. So training that, practicing that, what are some of the things that you like to do? That is from uh, a communication standpoint. You know, I still remember when I was a college football player and we were playing halves, the coaching point that my position coach gave me was level, look, and listen. And what he was telling me to do is to level the number two on a vertical, look at number one, and listen to the corner. I still remember that like it was yesterday. (laughs) And the communication from... The corner is critical there because the uh, vertical hook to player is going to be so concerned about carrying that vertical. And when he carries that vertical, he's, it's a low hip carry because he knows he has help over the top. And all he's trying to do is, is force a high throw so, so that the safety has time to break on it. But the corner's communication is critical. And as soon as he hears that, end call or whatever you decide to use now he knows that he can drop it and the corner is going to make the end call when he sees the shoulders of the number one receiver turned and he sees him go underneath the linebacker that's when he's going to make that end call that's critical when you're working halves Mm -hmm. there's a lot of different combinations that you have to be able to to cover in a halves coverage and that's why half line is a great drill for this coverage And so, you know, you work half of the formation and you work two receivers or two eligibles over there and you just have them do all the different combination routes that they need to do within the coverage and work on the communication and work on the vision between the players that are involved in that combination. If you're going to be a halves team, then you have to spend a lot of time doing that. Houston was running quarter-quarter halves and that makes it a little bit easier because there's only halves to one side mm-hmm. and there's still quarters to the other side but it's it's critical that you work that and you get good at it last week we spent a lot of time talking about different ways to handle motion and i know you saw a man free where they rocked correct so houston was running match three and they were running man free and a lot of times depending on what type of motion it is and depending on what coverage it is determines how you're going to adjust it. And when they were in match three and they got fly motion, then they, they bumped it over and they, and they played zone. And when they were in man free, they rocked it and they, and they continued to stay on their man and the safeties rocked and the, the safety came down and covered the guy that was in motion. 
But it was a good changeup, like I said, with brackets because they did the same thing out of brackets. When they were in brackets and they got fly motion, they rocked it. So they were able to hold the same disguise and adjust the motions the same way whether they were in man free or whether they were in brackets. Another difference between match three and between man free is how you cover the back. Man free is a better pass rush defense because you coach the inside backers to hug the back when he steps up. And then that gives you another rusher. All right. And that also gives you one less eligible going out. And Houston did a good job of that. They, as soon as that back stepped up, the inside linebacker that side went and got him. And the other player played the rat and they gave him some good pressure. They were also seeing some Y motion in their man free defense. And one thing that I coach is we rock the motion on fly and orbit and even a cross motion if we're in man free with the wide receivers. But if it's a core motion, like a tight end motion, an H back or a Y motion, or there's two backs and there's a motion, then you bump that motion within the core. Because if not, you know, you'll start getting yo-yo motion from a tight end. And now here's your safeties going back and forth because of the yo-yo motion when it's just as easy to just bump any core motion and allow the DBs to stay in the same place. And that's what Houston did. Once they got a Y motion, a yo-yo motion, which I mean by that, what I mean by that is the Y going back and forth, then they just bumped that. They even did that when they had a two-speed that was a tight end. Mm -hmm. That tight end had a return motion. Uh, A lot of offenses will line their tight end up as a wide receiver and then return him into the backfield. Well, when that happened, Houston bumped that as well because it just went from a uh, a tight end that was outside the core to a tight end that's inside the core. So there's no need to rock it. Are you having those guys identify that, what you're going to do by who the personnel is? Or what's, what's the way that that's going to get communicated? Because I have seen a lot of teams doing that. I, I never really did that much. Usually if I was going to move – somebody I was going to change strength was one of the main things I wanted to do. But I have seen a lot this year, that kind of motion with that guy either coming into the backfield or starting out wide and just coming to off the ball next to the tackle to that spot there. That's exactly right. That's alerted pre-snap based on the personnel. As soon as you recognize that there's a tight end that is lined up outside the core and off the ball, then you're going to communicate with the backers before the snap, hey, whatever your terminology is, but what you're saying is when this guy motions, I'm not going to rock this with the safety. I want to bump this with the backers. And that is a pre-snap communication. I did see Houston run a uh, simulated man-free pressure, and it was an inside backer and an outside backer uh, and, and a three-technique slanting to the same side and the inside backer away was hugging the back and the outside linebacker away was becoming a rat player. I I think this is a good pressure because you can bring it from wherever you want and it doesn't affect the back end. You know, anytime that you're running a man free pressure where the DB is not involved in the blitz, then if the back trades and you want to run it to the back or away from the back, now you can check the protection the other way. If, you want to run it to the tight end and the tight end trades. Now you can check it and run it the other way. I think this is a, a good pressure 
and it's a safe pressure because you also get a whole player for any quick game slash screens that you may see. They ran that on third and eight. Also on third down, they lined up in a bare front with the inside linebacker as the zero. Same thing that we saw last week from Wyoming. They were presenting, this was third and 14, they were presenting bare to the offense probably to get the protection that they wanted from the offense. And then they ran a twist game out of that bare front and they got a sack. They were able to line up and present pair with really a better zero rusher because that was a linebacker instead of a nose guard. And then with the twist, the three technique came clean and they were playing five man, man free behind it. Coach, I know we're going to talk a little bit about match three here and also the difference between different types of match three. So looking at a Nick Saban match three versus a Vic Fangio match three. Houston was running a combination of one rat and match three. And there's a difference in those two and their strength and weaknesses in both of those. The one rat that I saw them run was one Y and also one S, which is where the, the DB that comes down to the tight end or he comes down away from the tight end. And like I mentioned earlier, when they were in one Y, when that tight end motion, they did not rock the secondary because it was a core motion. So the safety hadn't even come down yet in one Y and the tight end motion didn't end up being a bump. Well, when they were in week three, the weak side of the formation safety was coming down into the box and any type of motion was a bump and not a rock because it was zone. Their corners were off. And the reason that they're off is because if number one goes in, then they now have to become a third player. And so it's hard to become a third player on a vertical of number two when one goes in If you're pressed, the Nick Saban match three system derived from cover three. And so everything was built from cover three and then match principles were added. The Vic Fangio match three system derived from fire zone. And when I say fire zone, I'm talking about a man match fire zone. I'm not talking about a zone fire zone. I'm talking about a man match fire zone. So the play of the corners in a Nick Saban match three system is a little bit different than the play of the corners in a Vic Fangio match three system. In a Nick Saban match three system, think of it as zone first with match principles that tell you now we have to match it up. And from the Vic Fangio system, Think of it as man principles first with some zone options when we need to make them. You know, the name of one of the hook defenders in the Vic Fangio system is called the bonus hooker. And the reason is, is because in a fire zone blitz, there's only one hook defender. So when they added another hook defender, they called it a bonus hooker. The name of the hook defenders in the Nick Saban system are the hook and three three players. They're playing the strong and the weak hook, but then their matchup responsibility is three through the zone. 
So I can tell that Doug Belt is coming from Nick Saban match three system because when he was in match three, Houston had their corners off a lot. And if it came from the Vic Fangio system, then the corners would be pressed on. Another difference between match three and one rat is how you play the hook defenders. So I talked about how in one rat, one of the inside linebackers to the side of the back, when the back steps up can hug rushing, then the other one becomes a rat player. And that's good for pass rush. It's also good for slip screen because it, it puts a, a, a guy on the back as soon as he steps up so that he can't get blocked by the offensive line that are releasing for the screen. Now, if you were in a match three, as soon as that guy stepped up, those inside backers are going to drop, which is now going to put them in a worse situation to develop the screen. So Houston is, was doing a good job of mixing up match three and one rat because you couldn't get them on the weaknesses of either one of those. All right, Coach. Well, one we haven't talked about here, and, and I have in my notes uh, that you're going to talk about, is a, a fishtail. So, and I asked you this question, too, because I haven't heard the term before. What is a fishtail? Houston was disguising too high to one high. And they wanted to hold their two shell as long as they could. And one way that they did that was they would fishtail the middle of the field player to the middle of the field. And when I say fishtail... I mean, he is not working to the middle of the field until the ball snap. And he's turning his shoulders, and he's running to the middle of the field, and his shoulders stay turned. He's never in position to square up. The good thing about this is it's a very late disguise to single high, so it can confuse the quarterback. The bad thing about this is he's not going to have as much ground that he can cover as the middle field player. When you go from a two high to a single high, you do it off the snap indicator, which means there's something that the offense is doing to let you know that the snap's coming Mm -hmm. and you roll to it. You can line up in it, which means he just lines up in the middle of the field, or you can fishtail to it, which means you don't go to the middle of the field until the ball snap and you keep your shoulders turned the whole time. Well, obviously, the strengths and the weaknesses to those two, those three ways of doing it are executing your assignment and disguising your look. So you want to decide what is more important going into each game. Do I need to hold my disguise longer because this quarterback is so talented in his pre-snap keys that if I give him a pre-snap key, he's going to put the ball exactly where it needs to be? Or do I need to line up in the middle of the field so that I can execute my assignment better and I can have more range or in between, which is I'm going to hold it as long as I can, but eventually I've got to get to the middle of the field before the ball snap that I can execute my assignment game. Houston was fishtailing. So that's one of the ways that you can get to the middle of the field with the middle of the field player. And that's the best way to do it if you're trying to show single high as long as you can. Coach, I agree with you on quarterbacks who, who can find those kind of keys. And I know offenses work really hard at getting that. And we've seen different ways, and we've, we've gone from that era where you know, they, they'd hard count you to now guys sometimes using the 
you know, they're going to clap or they're going to fake clap to see if they could get that guy to move. In, in your opinion, what are some of the toughest things that your guys have to face that they need to be patient with? Or what's the toughest thing they present that you have to handle? Whatever the snap indicator is, is depends on if they have something that fakes it. Like you said, whether it's a fake clap or um, whether it's the, the footstep or whether it's the hinners, the center's head when it pops up. But I will tell you that one key for defensive coaches that I would definitely study when I'm looking at the snap indicator from offenses is the play clock. Mm-hmm. I would study at what time on the play clock do they usually snap the ball. And if it's a tendency, then I would have the safeties look at the play clock more than I would have them look at something on the offense to determine what, what their stem is. Yeah, I, I like that one. That's that's definitely one to use. I've seen, uh, especially at the NFL level, the defensive linemen using that. That they're wa- they're watching the clock and they see it hitting close to you know hit one and they're they're going they're off the ball right because a lot of times in the NFL they're holding those counts right down to the end. I love that idea on your side of the ball, that's a, a great one to understand play clock to put that into your game plan. And play clock is something that isn't easily studied mm-hmm. because our video is, is, is intercut, you know? Mm-hmm. So w- w- we don't necessarily know what the play clock is from a college video when the ball snapped. That's something you have to study the um, TV copy right? in order to figure that out. Right. So, well, Coach, what did you see next? Anytime you're disguised in single high and two high, what is your disguise with a speed two um, away from the nickel two? You know, your linebacker has to show that he's walked out and then come back in if it's a single high, or he has to do the other way. He has to show that he's in the box and then walk out late when he's in a, when he's in a two high. And, and Houston was doing a good job of disguising that with their linebacker too. I also saw Houston run and on third down. They ran an inside backer blitz from the weak side of the formation, and then they played man to that side, and they played brackets on the slot away. I don't know if they called that or if they checked it because they had a speed two over the weak side. Anytime that you want to run a corner or a safety blitz from the boundary and you get a speed two, then you can check linebacker blitz and now the linebacker comes and Houston played brackets to the field side or the passing strengths and they ran a dig route and had a great double on that so coach last thing situational red zone wanted to talk about the red zone today so like we've mentioned before in the red zone there's no need to have a post player if you're going to play single high defense in the red zone assign him to do something and Temple got down in the red zone and Houston called a single high defense. And I think it was a Q call. The uh, safety flat footed and make sure it wasn't a Q run. And then he just became a free player. He didn't, he didn't play in the middle of the field. He just became a free player and broke on the quarterback's eyes. And I thought that was a good job. Coach, another great job on breaking down one of the top defenses right now in the country. And it's been an exciting season so far. As I've said, over the course of the season, a lot of twists and turns and changes. And, you know, it's been crazy now. We've even seen a lot of coaching changes happening happening early. But amongst all that, certainly a lot we can learn and a lot I've learned here in talking ball with you. 
I really enjoyed it. And, and I really enjoyed getting to know other coaches that have listened to this podcast. If you follow me on Twitter at coach Elliot and you're a coach, I will follow you back because that allows me now to start collaboration with you about football. So please follow me so we can talk ball. I've enjoyed visiting on this podcast as well as getting to know all the coaches that listen to this podcast. It's been a lot of fun. And speaking of podcasts, you have another one, Home Visit. Tell our listeners about Home Visit in case they've missed that one. Home Visit is a podcast that Tyler Siski and I do, and we talk about hot topics in college football, and we pick games with the spreads on who we think is going to win. And it is another good podcast. It's very interesting. It's a lot of fun. And I encourage you to listen to it. Coach, again, thank you for your time and look forward to talking ball with you again. You too, Keith. I appreciate it. Thank you again for listening to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Again, we've pulled some strings for you and we have collaborated with Glazier to offer that package to win a flight, hotel, rental car, and a Glazier staff pass. Go to glazierclinics.com slash win. 